If you'd open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 28, we'll be in chapter 28 tonight. Well, 1 Samuel's been quite a book so far, and it won't disappoint you tonight. <laughs> it's one of those areas of Scripture that's a little, uh, you, just, you just scratch your head and wonder why it's there. And then as I, as I show you the application, I think it'll be clear as to why it's there. Uh, when you've, if you've read through it on ahead of time, read through it on your own, you kind of, it does make you scratch your head and go, what, what is this here for? Why is this here? What's going on here? But I think there's some application points in our lives that we'll be able to pull out. Uh, we've been focusing on David. Tonight we're going to take a look at Saul. And just to kind of make sure we're all up to date on that, Saul was the first king of Israel. Uh, Samuel was the prophet. Samuel was supposed to represent God to the people and represent the people to God. And Israel is a nation that was supposed to be governed by God. And uh, all the other nations around them were governed by kings, which were worldly leaders. And God said, no, I want to be the one that's leading you, leading this group of people. You're going to stand for me. You're going to represent Yahweh God to the rest of the world and to the rest of the nations. And the people of Israel said, well, everybody else has a king, so we want a king too. You know, the God thing, it's kind of cool. You know, and remember what had happened. God, they wandered in the desert, then they came into the promised land, and God had told them when they came into the promised land to utterly wipe out all the nations. Wipe everybody out. This land is yours. I'm giving it to you. I don't want them around because I don't want them to corrupt you with their lifestyle. The nation Israel uh, failed to utterly wipe out all of the, uh, all of the surrounding nations. And as, as a result, we've seen that the other nations have crept in and the people of Israel have kind of, they've intermixed with the other nations and they've began to serve other gods. They've began to, you know, kind of fall into their lifestyle, if you will, and just kind of, kind of the way that a Christian today would fall into a worldly lifestyle. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I go to church, but I also do these other things on the side. And it was just kind of this, uh, this, uh, this smorgasbord of religion, if you will. And they picked and they chose the things they wanted. And it, when it came to a king, they looked and they said, well, we, we have the prophet Samuel and he's, he's doing an okay job. Job, but everybody else has a king, so we want a king too. So God said, fine, if you want a king, we'll give you a king. And they, he gave him King Saul. And King Saul, we read, his head and shoulders above everybody. He started out as a, as a good king. He started out following the Lord, but it wasn't long before he, he drifted off and he began. He acted like he was following God. He still sought Samuel for advice, but he was kind of going his own way and he was kind of doing his own thing. And as a result, the kingdom uh, was torn away from Saul and it was supposed to be given to, to King David. Uh, what happened from the time the kingdom was, from the time that Saul really messes up and the kingdom's torn away from him till the time that David is going to be king is about 14 years. So we're coming to the end of that 14 year period. Remember, Dave, or Saul has been pursuing David, trying to kill him. Saul didn't want David to take the kingdom. It's been this long time for David. He's been on the, on the run, he's been hiding in the wilderness. And finally, he comes to a point where he's confronted Saul, had a chance to kill Saul a couple times. Finally, David says, That's it, I'm going over and joining the enemies. And he leaves Israel and he moves over and he joins uh, the Philistines. And he's going to now in a place where he's going to be actually doing battle with the Philistines against the nation Israel. Now that presents a problem for David because David is supposed to be king of Israel. Those of us that know the scriptures know that he will be king of Israel. But at this point in his life, it leaves us to, a, to scratch our head saying, wow, you're on the side of the Philistines. The Philistines are attacking the Israelites. You're joining them, but yet you're supposed to be king of Israel. How could God orchestrate this? What's, how, how is this going to take place? Well, tonight, 
We're going to focus on what's going on in King Saul's life as the Philistines are moving into the nation Israel to begin their attack on them. David is paired with the Philistines. He is with them, but this is going to bring great dismay to King Saul. It's going to bring a lot of, a lot of animosity, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear to him trying to figure out what's going on. And we're going to be focusing on King Saul and what's taking place in his life. Now look at verse 3 of chapter 28. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And the Philistines gathered together, and they came, and they encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly." So here in verse 3, we covered the first couple of verses last week, but here in verse 3, we're, we're given a little bit of information. The first thing we're told is Samuel's dead. We remember that from previous studies, but it's just a reminder because it's going to be pertinent as we pursue, as we get farther along in this chapter. So Samuel's dead, and we're told that information that he was buried, and I think it's to show the point that he's gone. He really is dead. He's not alive at this point. Samuel is, is deceased, and he's gone to be with the Lord. But we also see another piece of information there. It says Saul had put out the mediums, and the spiritists out of the land. Now the mediums, those were people who, who, uh, who would consult familiar spirits. They would, they would call people back from the dead. They would, they would make this attempt to be able to so, so make it so that you could converse with your, your dead relatives. Okay. Now we'll talk more about what that is actually taking place a little bit later in the study. But they were, they were spiritists. And we also read that he, uh, the, the spiritists were also, also cast out of the land. And this is according, this, on, on Saul's behalf, this is a good thing. You know, it, it, this, these, these people are supposed to be cast out of the land. Of the land. There's something that, that, you know, the people of God are not supposed to be pursuing these things. All of these things, this conversation with the dead, they're all satanic. They're all evil. And I just want to share something with you just so we're clear on what the law says about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9, uh, it says this. When you come into the land, this is the promised land. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Meaning don't intermix with those nations. Don't follow what they do wrong. Well, what is it they do wrong? Look at verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone, anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. That was child, that's referring to child sacrifice. They would actually ch sacrifice still children to the God of Molech. Molech. And uh, so they, God's saying, don't do that. You, you, didn't, you wouldn't think you have to be told that, would you? You really wouldn't. But it, we sacrifice our children today sometimes too. We just don't call it, we, don't, we just don't burn them in the fire. He says to them, don't make your son or your daughter pass through the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. That pretty well covers everything in the demonic, spiritual, fortune teller realm, doesn't it? And he says this, for all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord God drives them out from before you. You you should or you shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. So it's referred to in other places in the scripture as well, but it's rather clear there that says, hey, 
All of the people of God are, have to, are, are to have nothing to do with this spiritual realm from the demonic standpoint. The only spiritual realm that we're interested in is the people of God is the Holy Spirit. That's the only spirit we're interested in. Okay, So when it comes to spiritual things, I'm talking about psychics, I'm talking about medians, I'm talking about tarot cards, I'm talking about, you know, Miss Cleo on the 800 number. Is she still around, by the way? I don't think so. You know who Miss Cleo is? You guys know Miss Cleo? Yeah, she, remember her? She was down in Florida. Maybe she wasn't up here. Miss Cleo, was, she, made, she made $24 million a month. That was her income. People were calling her, asking her for, for uh, information. Okay, It was all fake. It was all bogus. Uh, the, the, the FBI had an indictment against her. I don't know whatever happened to it, but it was, a big, it was a big scam, but she made all this money. She's still around. You know, I don't think she's doing psychic stuff anymore. She doesn't need to. She's got all the money she needs. But she's, she, was, she was just psychic, and people would call and ask them all kinds of information, you know, want to hear from their dead relatives, want to know all these questions, you know. And what, what this is telling us, that as, as, as Christians, this stuff has no place in our life. Your horoscope has no place in your life as a Christian. You're not going to be led by a horoscope. You know, none of, the, none of this stuff has any place in the life of a believer. If you have any of this stuff in your home, you need to get rid of it. If you have a Ouija board in your home where you're trying to seek the spirits, get rid of it. If you've had an experience, well, it's kind of cool. I've seen, I've seen different things happen. It's kind of, it, it, all of these things are demonically led. They can be kind of cool. The demonic spirits are alive. And, and as Christians, we are not to entertain them. Don't go ghost hunting. Don't go ghost watching. You say, well, are there really ghosts? Well, there's, there's demons. And they can pose as all kinds of things. As Christians, we need to separate ourselves from all of this stuff. There should be none of this stuff. If you have books on magic, uh, books on spells, books on witchcraft, any witchcraft, anything needs to be moved out of your home. As a Christian, you're just inviting, you're inviting evil into your life when you, when you uh, participate in something like this. So Saul does the right thing. He kicks, up, kicks all these people out. And then we read the, the third thing, that, piece of information we have here. Is the Philistines gathered together, they came and encamped at Shunem. Well, that doesn't mean very much to us because we don't know where Shunem is. But what that means is they have come in the borders of Israel. They, they, they are inside the land of Israel. They've passed where they're supposed to. This is, you know, the pretend imaginary line in the sand. They're in the valley of Jezreel. They, they're approaching Israel. Their intentions are made clear. We are coming in to attack, and we're coming in to take over. Saul's not too far away from them as he's watching the armies of the Philistines coming in after them. So what it means, he gathers Israel together, and they camped at Gilboa. So we're getting ready to have a face-off. We're getting ready to have a war between Israel and between the Philistines. And the, Israel's, I mean, the Philistines are coming full force. It's, it's causing Saul concern. They, they've, they've passed our border. They've, they, they've made their intentions clear. They're, 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 it's coming. There's going to be a battle. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, it tells us, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. This goes a little bit beyond just, hey, I'm a little nervous about what's going to happen. When it says his heart trembled greatly, he was shaking. He was literally scared to death. He was freaking out. He didn't know what to do. He's really worried about this, okay? He's really concerned. It's really bothering him. Why is he so worried? about? How did this happen? How did, how did they get to this place? What was, what's Saul been doing for the last 14 years? Chasing David around, hadn't he? What should he be doing? Being king of Israel, defending the nation, shouldn't he? But he's been focused on David. If I can just wipe out David, then I can maintain my kingdom. But no, he's not focused on, on what he should be doing. You see, he's already been told the kingdom is going to be torn from his hands. That's already been made clear to him. So he knows it's coming to an end. And he's wondering, is this the day? Is this what's taking place? 
So he's, he's, he's afraid. His heart trembled greatly. And look at verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urmum or by the prophets. Now, let me get your attention. You say, wait a minute, Rob. Saul did the right thing. He went to the Lord. He went to the Lord. He asked the Lord, Lord, will you give me an answer in a dream? And no dreams came. He went to the priest. That's who they had the Urmum and the Thummim. He went to the high priest who, who, was, who was there. Inquire the Lord for me. Sorry, Saul. Sorry, Saul. No answer. I don't have any answer for you. I'm inquiring, but there's nothing coming. He, he's looking for an answer. He goes to the prophets, the people of God. Tell me, what am I supposed to do? We don't have an answer for you. Now, do you have a tendency to think, poor Saul? Poor Saul. I mean, it says he sought the Lord. He inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. Well, that's not right. The Bible says that, that God will never leave us or forsake us. The Bible says if we draw close to him, he'll draw close to us. Why didn't God answer Saul? That's not, that, that just doesn't really, that really doesn't make sense. I, that, God, you're not being fair to Saul. Well, now, if we know anything about God, we know that's not true, is it? Let me put it to you in a different perspective, in a different light. Saul's coming to God, and he's saying this, God, will you speak to me? But Saul's not listening to what God's already told him. You see, God's already given Saul direction. God's already told Saul what to do. God's already told Saul what's going to happen. He's asking God, God, will you tell me what I'm supposed to do? And God is saying, Saul, I've already told you what you're supposed to do, and you've been rejecting me all these years. You're failing to obey the things I've told you what to do. You're failing to be obedient in the areas I've told you. And now you're coming to me and you're asking me for me to tell you what to do now. I'm not going to tell you. You've hardened your heart against what I've told you to do. You've, you've, been, you, you've been disobedient to me. And now you're coming to me saying, hey, tell me what to do. Wait a minute. Saul, Saul's been disobedient a lot to the Lord, hasn't he? Remember when he, when he got, for, right after he got anointed king, he failed to wait for Samuel to to start to, to, to sacrifice to the Lord. He was waiting on Samuel. Samuel said, go up and wait there. I'll be there. I'll be there in so many days. And he doesn't, he gets getting to the last day and Saul says, I just can't wait. And he sacrifices anyways. He, he wasn't supposed to do that. He was supposed to wait. And you remember what happened in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 15? God said this to King Saul. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this to you because I think it's important. God said this. He says to King Saul, he says, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all they have. Don't spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Why would God say this? The previous verse, it says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. So in other words, God's using King Saul to punish or to judge the Amalekites. The way the Amalekites treated the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt was very badly. They were attacking them from behind, attacking the women and children. And God said, they've had time to repent, so now I'm going to use King Saul to judge them. And he tells King Saul real simply, I want you to go in there, and I want you to wipe out the entire nation. Wipe out all their stuff, all their people. I want it to all be gone. Verse 9 would tell us that, but Saul and the people spared Agag. That was the king of the Amalekites. And they spared the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were unwilling to destroy them. So what happened? They failed to obey God. They failed to, he failed to do what God told him to do. And then a little further on, Samuel would come along. And he would say to King Saul, he would say to Saul, Saul, remember what he says? 
What's this bleeding I hear? What are these sheep I hear? You're supposed to wipe out the Amalekites. You're supposed to destroy the livestock. And what does Saul say? I did. I wiped everybody out. I just saved the king and I just saved some of the choice animals. Well, why'd you save them, Saul? What did he say? I'm gonna sacrifice to the Lord. He failed to be obedient to God and he made an excuse as to why he did it and he blamed the other people. It's their fault. They did it. They failed to sacrifice to the Lord. I brought him, I, I brought him for a sacrifice. Saul said, I've obeyed the Lord. But in fact, he'd disobeyed the Lord. Remember, partial obedience is complete disobedience when it comes to the things of God. Partial obedience leaves you in complete disobedience. And that's exactly where Saul was. I was partially obedient. I was. No, you weren't. You're completely disobedient because you didn't follow everything the Lord had laid out for you. The Lord went on to say, has the Lord as great delight and does he have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, he would say, as in, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice than to heed the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. That's what he was casting out of the land, remember? The witches. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Remember, Samuel's telling King Saul, you're being rejected as being king because you failed to obey the Lord. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, remember what happened after that? Samuel went to leave, and what did King Saul do? He said he was sorry, he repented, forgive me. And he grabbed a hold of Samuel's robe, and he tore part of the robe off, remember? And Samuel turned around, and he said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. In other words, what God had tell, told King Saul, listen, since you couldn't obey, I'm gonna take the kingdom away from you. And Saul reached out and tore part of Samuel's robe. And there he's left, holding part of Samuel's robe as Samuel's walking away. Now, going back to 1 Samuel chapter 28. When the Lord inquired, and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Ermum or by the prophets. You see, Saul is a disobedient man coming to inquire of the Lord. He's asking God, what do I do? At the very least, Saul should have known what to do. He should have known that he shouldn't have been killing, hunting David. He should have known that when the Philistines attack, what do you do? You fight. You see, Saul wasn't really looking as what to do. He already knew what he should do. He wanted to know what would happen. What's going to happen after this war? What's, it's not about what to do. It's not about what I'm going to do. It's what's going to happen. So when we read that God's not answering Saul, we have to understand the heart that Saul's coming to God with. It's a disobedient heart. If God's not answering you when you seek him out, can I just ask you to check your heart? Can I just ask you, have you been obedient to the things that God has told you to do? Have you been obedient to the things that he's already asked you to do? Have you been obedient to the things that you know you're supposed to be obedient to? When you're not hearing from the Lord, when you're seeking and not hearing, you have to ask yourself the question, am I being obedient or have I been disobedient? You see, because if you're disobedient enough, there'll come a point where you won't hear anymore. Initially, when you're disobedient, what do you hear? You feel guilty. You're convicted by the Holy Spirit. Move back. Come back into the presence. I'm, I'm away from the Lord. And you, and you get moved back into the Lord. But what it's showing us, there's a point in somebody's life where they can seek God and not hear. Saul's living a lie. He thinks he's a servant of God. 
But a servant of God is obedient to God. And Saul's not being obedient. Therefore, he can't hear the voice of the Lord. Now, it's a really sad thing what he does next. 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. The King James calls her the witch of Endor. Now, do you think his servants are faithful men? Do you think his servants are faithful men? Men of God, if you came, think about this. Here comes the king, and he goes to his faithful servants. Guys, I need, you know, I've sought God. I can't hear from God, so find me a witch. A, a godly man would say, Saul, I don't think that's a good idea. You might not want to do that. But what do they say? Oh, yeah, there's one over here. How do they know? How do they know where she lived? Everybody, in the, every, he was supposed to cast them all out, but they know right where she lives. Oh, yeah, she's right there. Oh, we see her all the time. So Saul decides he's going to go see this woman. Look at verse 8. So Saul disguised himself, and he put on other clothes. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night and he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. How tragic it is when the people of God that are supposed to be governed by God turn to things of Satan for direction. The people of God led by King Saul who are supposed to be governed by God are turning to the things of Satan looking for direction in their own lives. Rather than looking inward, rather than repenting for his disobedience, because that's what God really wanted. Rather than, rather than have a heart of repentance and turning away, we'll turn to the world. Well, I tried the God thing, it didn't work out, so now I'm going to the witch. Here we go, witch of Endor, let's see what she has to say. And he goes there and he says, listen, hey woman, can you call up a dead guy for me? Look what she says. Verse 9, the woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? So in other words, she goes, listen, no, this is a sting operation. You know Saul's thrown all the, all the, all the, all the witches out of the land. So why are you trying to set me up here? And look what Saul says. Saul swore to her, by the Lord. That's ironic, isn't it? Look what he says. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for these things. As the Lord lives. He, he, do you see his, his, he's part following God. He's half following God. The Lord, as the Lord lives, lady, just, just call somebody up from the dead for me, would you? And she says in verse 11, well, who shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. How sad is this? How tragic? Do you see how ironic, how weird this kind of is? Saul's going to this witch, this medium, who's supposed to be able to talk to people from the dead, and he says to her, listen, I need you to call somebody up. No, I can't do that. Saul will kill me. By the hand of God, Saul will not kill you. How do you know? Well, I just can't tell you how I know, but you're safe. Just call somebody up. All right, who do you want me to call up? I want you to call Samuel up. Now, everybody in the land knew who Samuel was, okay? Everybody would have known who Samuel was. And look what happens. Verse uh, 12. When the woman saw Samuel... She cried out with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Now, I know what you're thinking. What, who is this? What, what's going on here? Is this fake? Is this real? What's taking place here? I want to draw your attention to a couple things. The woman is supposed to be calling up people from the dead, right? That's her job. That's what she gets paid to do. When she actually calls somebody up from the dead, what does she do? She cries out with a loud voice. That means she screamed. As loud as she could, she screamed. She was scared. This had never happened before. This is really strange. She, this should be her career. This, you know, she should do this all the time if she can really do what she says she's going to do. 
But she, she screams. She cries out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, you've deceived me. And this is, how have, you, how have I deceived you? I thought you did this all the time. This is, you're Saul. Well, how, how did she know that he was Saul? How did she know? Well, it's pure speculation on my part. It's not biblical, but I, but I think Samuel called him by name. I think he said, Saul. And I think she said, whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. This, this, this thing really works, you know. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question. This woman, who's a medium, she's a witch, she's a spiritist. She's calling up Samuel from the dead. Here he comes. She sees him. She's freaking out over it. Is this really happening? And there's a couple of schools of thought that I want to cover real quick. Some people believe the median is deceiving Saul and just pretending to be Samuel, okay? Some people believe that. And that's likely how she would probably get her money in most cases, that she probably did pretend. But she's not going to scream or cry out in a loud voice if she's pretending. That, that, that's out of character. That just, that just wouldn't make any sense. So I, I don't really think that's the case. Some people believe it's just a complete hallucination by the median and, and somebody, and it was just something that she was dreaming up in her mind. It was a hallucination. I don't really think that's the case either. Other people believe that Samuel, that she's seeing, is a demonic impersonation of Samuel. So it would be a demon that's presenting himself or representing himself as Samuel. Could be, that's, that's a possibility. And then some people believe this is an actual, it's, it's a rather strange, but an actual appearance of the prophet Samuel. Some people believe this, this is actually Samuel. And the most literal reading of the scripture would make you believe this is Samuel. Here's Samuel come back from the dead. Her reaction to what she sees is, whoa. Now, I need to share something with you. This has happened before in scripture. Actually, it hasn't happened before, but it will happen again at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John will see Moses and Elijah when they too had passed away previously. This is all before the death and the resurrection of Christ, okay, where the, where the, where the, where the righteous people of the Lord would have gone to Abraham's bosom, okay? Usually you're not allowed to come back from there. There's no interaction with the dead. Uh, typically, if you were to go to a psychic or a median today, they wouldn't be able to call somebody back from the dead, what you do when you do that is you dabble in the spiritual realm. In those cases, it would happen today. I believe that it would be a demonic impersonation of the person that you were supposed to be or trying to communicate with. That's why if the person is real, and I believe there is real one, 99% of them are fake, but I believe there are real, real people that are possessed by, by demons or by Satan that can have communication with other demons and make you think that you're talking or you're communicating with somebody, somebody um, from the past. Very rare, but I think it can happen. The majority of all that stuff, I think it's all a fake to take your money. Remember, Miss Cleo made $24 million a month for I think it was two or three years. $24 million a month because people wanted to know what was going to happen. I didn't even get to talk to her. So Saul, Samuel's called back. She freaks out. She's, she's not sure what to do. She realizes it's Saul. And then she goes, oh, no, this is a sting operation. I'm really in trouble here. And then look what happens. Verse 13, king, king, the king, king Saul says to her, do not be afraid. What'd you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. Now you can just imagine the excitement in her voice. It's actually working for the first time, probably. So he said to her, what is the form? And he said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle or a robe. That word means robe. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel and he stooped with his face to the ground and he bowed down. Now, verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, 
why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed. I'm stressed out, Samuel, I need some help. The Philistines are making war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Now, what we see happening here is Saul is having a direct conversation with Samuel at this point. Some people, most people believe that he's not actually seeing him, but he's hearing his voice because the Bible says previously that Saul never saw Samuel again. Okay, so some people think that he's having this conversation with Samuel. It's rather strange, and he's bringing, he's bringing him back. And when it comes to this, doesn't that just make you scratch your head? You're like, what is all this? How, 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 why is this even here? And I want to give you a couple of, uh, uh, couple of comments. Adam Clark says, makes this point. He says, I believe the woman of Endor had no power over Samuel, and that no in- incantation can avail over any departed saint of God nor indeed over any human disembodied spirit. Samuel really came, but not because the medium called for him. Samuel appeared because God had a special purpose for it. This is one of those rare times, rare cases, that God has a special purpose for this to happen. G. Campbell Morgan said this, he said, when we close our ears to God, he will find unusual and perhaps uncomfortable ways to speak to us. That he did appear to Saul, there can be no question. But he did not come in response to her call. He was sent by God. For the excess, for the, I'm sorry, for the express purpose of rebuking Saul for his unholy traffic with these evil things. And we're going to see to pronounce his doom. Pronounce the doom on Saul. Now, so Saul basically reiterates the same, hey Samuel, this is the problem. You know, the Philistines are coming against me. I went to God. He's not answering me. And look what Samuel replies to him. He says in verse 16, So why do you ask me? What are you asking me for? Seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy. And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Notice what Samuel Samuel is saying. He's saying, God's just doing what he said he was going to do, Saul. God's just doing it. He, he told you 14 years ago this was going to happen. This is not, this is not by chance. God, God's just doing it. Well, why is he doing it? Look at verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine what Saul's thinking? Now, just let me give you this picture here. If, in fact, Saul could see Samuel, he probably saw him standing there with a torn robe. Think about that. And what would that remember? What would that bring to memory on King Saul? I remember when I reached out and I grabbed that robe. I was the one that tore that robe. And he told me that the kingdom was being torn from my hand 14 years ago, approximately, when I tore that robe. And look what Samuel says. Verse 19, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow and your, tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. What did he just tell him? He said, this is your last day on earth, buddy. Tomorrow you're going to be with me. Tomorrow you're going to be with me. God told you 14 years ago, what was, why are you asking me now? 
And listen, that's gonna teach us a very, very valuable lesson that we need to remember. Write this down. Time does not change God's mind. Time does not change God's minds. The truths of God are true today. They're true tomorrow. They're true next week. They're true in a thousand years. They're true in a million years. As far as you go, it's still true. Time doesn't change God's mind. We have a tendency to think, and maybe you've heard the old saying, well, time heals all wounds. Well, it does. Time passing can heal certain things. It won't heal all wounds. But time does not change God's mind. We have a tendency to, when you look back at your sins, the ones a long time ago, do you think about them often? No, they're in the past. I don't do that stuff anymore, right? But if there's no forgiveness for them, do you know there's still judgment coming for them? Our sins are not forgiven because of time. You can't be a good person today having been a bad person 25 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, 40 years ago, and think, oh, that's in my past. No, no, I'm good today. No, no, without the blood of Jesus Christ, you will stand judgment for those sins. That's just the way it is. Time does not change God's mind. God's outside of time. It doesn't, it, time, time is not that big of a deal to him. But I want to share one more thing, one more thought with you. Listen, God never departs from a man until the man has departed from him. Then, in the interest of righteousness, God is against that man. God never departs from a man or a woman until they depart from him. And then, because God is righteous, he's going to honor that decision of that man or that woman to depart, and he will actually be against them. That's what's taken place in Saul's life. God has now become against Saul. He's come against him because Saul has departed from God. Saul, Saul has failed to be obedient to the things that God has called him to do. Saul didn't want to live the life that God wanted him to live. Saul wanted to do it his way. Saul didn't want to wait on the Lord. He wanted to jump early. Saul didn't want to waste all of those good things, those good animals and the king of Amalek. Let, let's, let's bring him back as a prisoner. We'll parade him through the streets and show the victory. He failed to be obedient to the things of God. As a result, because he hardened, himself, hardened his heart against God, in the interest of righteousness, God is saying, that's fine, now I'm against you. And Samuel proceeds to tell Saul, hey buddy, 14 years ago you were told the kingdom was torn out of your hand, and by the way, this is your last day on earth. Your last day. There's nothing left. This is it, buddy. This is it. Why also do I think it was really Samuel? Because demons don't know the future. Demons don't know the future. But the prophet of God speaking for the Lord God would know the future. So as he tells him, this is your last day on earth for you and your sons. The Israelite army will be taken over by the Philistines. Look at Saul's reaction. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I've put my life in my hands, and I've heeded the words in which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant. Let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. So what's taking place is Samuel has this conversation with Saul. It says the woman came to Saul, which means she wasn't there. I don't know whether she, she left the room or left the cave or wherever they were. He's having this conversation. He falls on his face because he's going to, he's going to die tomorrow. But I want you to notice what's important is what's going to be missing. Verse 23, but he refused and he said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and he sat on the bed. The woman had a fatted calf in the house and 
She hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. They rose, and they went away that night. Did you catch what was missing? There's no repentance on Saul. There's no repentance. He just accepts what's said. What would your life be like? What if, what if that was you? I, I, I'm amazed. I, that, I, I would think the moment that Samuel told me that, I'd want to get right with God. I'd want to fall down on my face in repentance. I wouldn't be worried about food. I'd want to know, God, I, I, I've sinned. I mean, Samuel's just reiterating, look, I, I, thought, I thought maybe you forgot about it 14 years ago, Lord. I thought that that promise wasn't really going to come to pass, and I was doing everything in my power to make it not come to pass. I wanted to kill David. There's not a, not a, not a mention of Saul falling down on repenting. Not a mention of his words. Not a mention of it. Instead, he says he's not going to eat. She brings him food, and some people speculate that the reason he hadn't eaten is because he was fasting for the war. That's possible. She brings him some food, and he eats. And then it just says, it says they went away that night. They just went on their way. They just took off, and they left. Oh, well, my last night on earth, what would you spend it doing? If you knew your last day was, if tomorrow was it for you, what would you do tonight? I'd certainly spend some time with the Lord, wouldn't you? I'd want to make sure I was right. I'd be confessing things three and four times. I'd want to make sure, I, I, whatever I had to do, I'd want to make sure that I was right. It's not what Saul does. He just heads out on his own way. But remember, he's already hardened his heart against the things of the Lord. He's living this lie thinking he's following God. He wants God's advice, but he's not following God's advice. You ever had anybody ask you for advice? They come to you and say, hey, listen, I really got this problem. And you tell them what to do. You lay it out there. This is what you need to do. They go, okay, man, that's good. And they leave. And they don't do anything you tell them to do. Then they come back a week later. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm having a problem. Can you give me some advice? And you go, well, I gave you some advice. Yeah, well, give it to me again. And you give it to them again. And then they keep coming back. And they never do anything you tell them to do. And what, what do you say at some point? How, long, how many times do you let them keep coming back? Eventually, you're going to say, listen, stop coming to me. What do you keep asking me for? I keep telling you, you keep coming to me and you tell me how good my advice is, but you don't do anything of it. You're just, you know, now picture that being God. You go to God and you say, God, what do I do? And God says, this is what I want you to do. And you go, okay, and you do something different. Or you do half of what he wants you to do. All right, God, now what do I want you to do? Well, this is what I want you to do. Okay, well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. And you go to God a third time. Well, what do you want me to do, God? Eventually, it's like, well, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like we said, God never departs from a man until the man has departed from him. The man has already departed from God. You've already departed from God if you're not following the ways of God, the things of God. In the interest of righteousness, God, God is against that man. Now, I want you to take away a couple things from this evening. I want you to remember this. If you want to hear from the Lord, you must begin obeying what you already know is his will. Okay? If you want to hear from the Lord, you've got to start doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. If you're not hearing from the Lord, you have to ask yourself, have I done the last thing that he told me to do? Or am I trying to get on to step three and I haven't done step one yet? If you're, if you're praying, you're going, Lord, I'm not hearing anything. Then you really have to say, Lord, I need to back up. What, have I, what am I missing here? What is it that you asked me to do? And if you find that you can't go back and do it, if you can go back and do it, do it. If you can't, what should your next response be? Repentance. Falling down on your face before God, asking for forgiveness. Repentance. Do you just figure, oh, well, I blew it. Nah, I, I know God told me to do something. I just didn't do it. So, oh, well, I'll catch it next time. No, that's not the heart that... We're going to see David. He messes up a lot, doesn't he? We're also going to see a repentant heart in him. 
We're going to see as he, as he cries out to God, as he is as through the Psalms, as we see him pouring out his heart to God, a man after God's own heart. It's not that he doesn't make mistakes, as he knows how to go before the Lord and repent and to ask for forgiveness. That's the difference. If you want to hear from God, you must begin obeying what you already know to be his will. If you're living a life of complete worldliness sin and you come and you say, oh, I'm not hearing from God. Well, it's no wonder why. He's probably not even talking to you. But think of the scary place it is when you stop hearing from God. Think about it. You hear from God, you hear from God, you hear from God. You're feeling conviction, you're feeling conviction, you're feeling conviction, you're feeling conviction. All of a sudden it goes away, there's nothing. I'm not hearing from God anymore. I'm hearing nothing. Man, that would be scary, wouldn't it? I read the Bible, I get nothing out of it. I pray, it's like nobody's there. I go to church, I can't wait to get out of there. So those songs they sing, I don't really care about them. Can you, the, the, for a Christian, that's a horrible place to be. I've rejected and rejected and disobeyed and disobeyed and disobeyed. So God says, fine. In the, in the name of righteousness, I'm coming against you. The second thing I want you to remember is Christians, we must reject anything to do, any connection with the occult, with the spiritists, with the demonic realm. We don't go ghost hunting. We don't have Ouija boards. We don't go to psychics. We don't do any of that stuff. We need to stay away from it. We shouldn't be entertaining it. We shouldn't be in our home. We shouldn't even have any part of that around us. It shouldn't be anywhere near us. Are we afraid of it? Not at all. Not one bit. Do we, have to be, do we need to be fearful of the demonic realm? Nope, we're in God's hands. He who, is, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. But do we want to open up our lives to that? As a Christian, do you really want to put your hands on a Ouija board for fun at a friend's house for a game just to see what happens? And invite a spirit to lead you, an evil spirit? Listen, I don't know about you, but the only spirit I want to be led by is the Holy Spirit. I want nothing to do with the other things. Nothing at all. Keep them away from me. Stay away from me. I, I don't even, I don't want to read that stuff. I don't read my horoscope. I don't want to know any of it. I don't care. I'm not even about to entertain it for one second as a Christian. The only spiritual realm I want is in the Holy Spirit. And I want him in me and that's it. And if Christ is in you, you don't have to worry about any other spirit moving in because they can't cohabitate together. It's as simple as that. Christians can't be demon possessed. They can be demon oppressed. There can be oppression when God allows it. But you cannot be possessed as a, as a Christian. Say, if Christ is living in you, there is nothing else that's going to move in apart from that. Now, I think the saddest thing here in our story, our message tonight, is that if you would have asked Saul, hey, Saul, are you following God? What do you think he would have said? He'd have said, yeah, yeah. I talk to Samuel, the prophet. I pray. I get dreams. I go consult the priest. I do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. But notice his heart was far from God. And I think that's where the danger in Christianity lies. You can look like you're following God, but your heart can be far from him. Your life and your decisions tell us what you're really following and who you're really following. Does the Bible have an impact in your life? Does the Holy Spirit fill you and lead you? Or, and I'm not saying perfect. Please understand, I'm not saying Christians are perfect and we never make mistakes. But what is it your heart longs for? Do you long for holiness or do you long for sin? Do you long for righteousness? Do you long for the presence of the Lord? Those moments in worship where you feel so close to God or those moments in prayer or those moments early in the morning where you're reading your Bible and God just shows you something about your own life? Is that what you're looking for? Or has it just become mundane for you? I don't open my Bible much anymore. I already know it. I've read through it, you know, half a dozen times. Doesn't really, I already got it down. I mean, what does it really matter? 
becomes mundane. That's what it would become for Saul. I do half of what God asked me to do. I do part of what he says. That's not the kind of Christians that we need to be. We need to be Christians who are following hard after God, sold out for the Lord, letting the Lord have every part of our life, not given to the spiritual things other than the Holy Spirit, complete obedience to the Lord in all areas of our life. And let me tell you this, if you're not hearing from God, you really need to check your life and check your, what you're doing. If you haven't heard from him in a long time, go back and say, what's the last thing I've heard from him and have I done it? If you haven't done it, go back and do it. It might not be too late. If it is too late, fall on your face and repent. And the beautiful thing is, what did we read? What did he read? What did we read back here? For rebellion is of the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. But prior to that, what did he say? Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obey is better than sacrifice. Will you be obedient, fully obedient to the Lord? Or are you partially obedient? It's my prayer that we'd all be fully obedient. 